Moving on to another. Sorry, Rick just scared me in the chat. Oh, did he post a pic uh, of a spider? No, <laughs> but he said big, uh, fucking big ass spider in my game room. Tried to squash him and miss. He's gone behind a damn shelf now. Gonna spend the rest of the night looking over my shoulder for him. That's just freaking nightmares for me. You know, Rick, I was in a, in a similar situation last night. I didn't want, I, I don't want to scare Tricky, but I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna commiserate with my friend Rick here. And there was a spider. Didn't look particularly poisonous, so I think we're good. But there was one hiding over in the corner of our room by the window. And I was gonna try to grab it, you know, just kind of get rid of it. Uh, and he ran away. Kill it with fire. It's somewhere, it's, well, I'm not gonna do that in my house. Um, <laughs> I was just gonna take some paper towels and grab it. But, uh, yeah. Ran away, ran underneath a cat condo or behind a cat condo, and I don't know where that spider is now. It's 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 free roaming everywhere. All right, All right. So eggs in your ear when you're asleep. Oh god, stop! Please stop! I woke up with a bug bite in my arm, so it could have been that spider. Who knows? I hope I hope it wasn't poisonous. Well, if you start climbing the walls, then we'll know something. If you hear a loud thud during this podcast and I stop talking, you you know that I should have gone to the emergency room. Until developer, you can't have nightmares when you're awake. Until developer, that'd be a great name for a company. Oh my god, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm literally shaking right now. Uh just don't hit your microphone, and we'll be good. Don't don't mess up with the make, audio. Make sure we get your audio by the end of the episode. You are listening to Trophy Horse with your host, Tricky Mick, Alex. I yield to no one. Steve and Sid. And welcome to Trophy Wars. This episode 532. I'm your host, Jake Vick. Alongside with me, the man, the myth, the legend, it's Alex. I gotta say, fellas, it's been a really good weekend so far, and it's gonna be a great show to cap it off. So I got myself a nice dose Equis here. Just gonna sip this and enjoy the ride. He brings the awesome. It's I yield to no one. Hi. You know, you gotta get more enthusiastic with your hellos. Hi. You know he's not going to give you what you want when you ask for it. Yeah, I know. And we ha- continue our stream of having awesome guests. We are bringing on a classic fan favorite. It's Mr. Jeff Hanna. How are you doing, sir? Uh, great. I would like to start off by pointing out there seems to be some confusion on Facebook. I am not Zack Snyder. <sighs> you know, you troll with the role group with that. That's old Daryl. Uh, I'm going wide with it. <laughs> What's with your hatred of Zack Snyder? He destroys everything he touches. So wait, wait, like you didn't even like 300? No, and soon after 300, he was supposedly working on a treatment for a Saints Row movie, and thank goodness that never happened. Wait, are you saying we could have had a Saints Row movie? We could have, but it would have been a Zack Snyder Saints Row movie, so it wouldn't have had anything to do with Saints Row, and it would have been grimdark and probably centered around the name Martha. I, I, you come on the show and you throw me off my game so much because you make me laugh. And and see, that's the thing is you're not even prepared for it now. Even though we've podcasted with Jeff 
numerous times. Still not enough times, but numerous times already. And, and I got to be honest, I, as much as I love Jeff ha- coming on the show, every single time we record, he kind of makes me feel stupid. I don't mean to. No, no, no. You don't do it on purpose because you say something so intellectual that I just don't get it. And I'm like, what did he just say? Well, that's why he's a fan favorite, because whenever they have to listen to the rest of us yokels, they, uh, they're they like, man, they really dumbed down the source material this week. <coughs> Look, I'm, I'm, it's okay. I'm self-deprecating. It's fine. All right. So if you guys don't remember, we are live on Twitch. Uh, we have a couple people in the chat already. Latin Legacy is here. Red Bi- uh, Rick is here. Welcome for joining us. Uh, you guys are in for a treat of the show because every time Jeff is on the show, we uh, it turns out to be one of our most uh, downloaded shows ever because he is such an awesome guest. Uh, so, Jeff, uh, let's do a little uh, news before we get fully into the show. L- last time you were on the show, you were the principal technical artist at Volition. Every time I've been on the show before today, I have been the pr- a principal technical artist at Volition. And you will no longer have that position. No, I am now a senior tools programmer at NVIDIA. Okay, and for anybody that doesn't know, including myself, what does that mean? Uh, it means I'm doing the exact same thing I was doing, but I'm doing it on a different 3D engine for a different company. All right, and is one of the perks getting a 3080 Ti? Uh, I have a 3090 in my work machine. Oh, excuse me, sorry. And a 3060 laptop. And one of the cool things about this, and, you know, uh, if I go too far, just tell me to shut up. But you can now work from home, correct? Yes, I was working from home the last two years. I worked at Volition. Um, I think maybe by this point they have started to ask some people to come back into the office. My job with NVIDIA is work from home for as long as I want. There is an NVIDIA office in Champaign, Illinois, and it's just a matter of minutes from my house. Uh, And I could go in there whenever I want. I've got a badge and everything, but there is no requirement that I ever go in that office. Well, that is awesome. Uh, So, uh, now that you're not with Volition anymore, what can you tell us about Citro? That's coming out next month. I'm sorry. Yield was laughing at me. He said it comes out next month. Comes out next month. uh, PC, PlayStation, Xbox. Uh, and it will be open world, urban environment, crime hijinks. Okay, that's not exactly what I was looking for, but thank you. That's exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> I can't, I honestly cannot tell you a whole bunch about it. Uh, one, I think my NDA is still in force, and I'm going to act like my NDA is in force, because I still wish the best for Volition. Uh, I think the game is going to be wonderful, but... For the two years that we were doing work from home, I was working more tools and engine side than game side. And so I didn't have, I was using a remote desktop connection to my machine at work, not a local work machine with a VPN connection. So I couldn't really run the game at an effective frame rate uh, to play it. So I really didn't play the game for the last two years I was at the company. And I think that that was kind of like we talked about this before the show. I think that was part of my misunderstanding because, you know, I, I just thought that Jeff was on the team working on the game. But Jeff's you know responsibilities were more overall, like he was working on the overall tech, the engine that Volition uses. So he was more like I liken it to the 
the Pauly Shore quote from Biodome, where it's like everyone's thinking locally and he's thinking globally. So that was I'm working on Unreal, not on Fortnite. There you go. That's even that's you know that's a much better you know uh, comparison without having to take it back to the '90s. Even though I I love the '90s, it's my wheelhouse. Well, we're gonna go back to the '90s on a few of these topics today, so that's good. All right, but before we get into our topics, we have to do our updated trophy count. I am level 683 with total trophies of 16,757 with 372 Platinums. Alex? Come on now, Tricky. You know, ain't, ain't nobody got no time to be looking up these trophies. Which it's on the agenda that gets sent to you every single week. Yeah, and I know, and I'm right there. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Level 460, total trophy count of 8,000. I got over 8,000 now? That is tremendous. 8,021 total trophies with a platinum count of 126 and 125 games. And I tell you, fellas, I tell you, we're, we're, I haven't done it yet, but we're about to go up one notch in that category. You just wait. Yield. I am currently a newly minted 477 with 8,626 trophies and 154 platinums. Sid is level 603 with total trophies of 12,719 with 288 platinums. And Jeff, we know you don't play PlayStation because you like playing on the dark side. Almost, well, I was convalescing from having COVID week before last. I almost rented the Uncharted film, but I rented everything everywhere all at once instead. So I almost, almost became kind of adjacent to a trophy, but then I backed off. Well... If I remember correctly, and you know my memory's not as good as because I'm getting old, uh, the whole thing with you getting a negative trophy was you were playing Uncharted on a dev kit, right? I was playing Uncharted on a PS3 dev kit that I had kicked over into retail mode, and then I had to kick it back into developer mode to test Red Faction Guerrilla, and that wiped out the trophy that I had earned in Uncharted. So uh, it seems you're you're very drawn to Uncharted, sir. Yeah, well, I mean, it's. There are some Sony properties that you can play on the PC now. I haven't gotten any of those. You know, here's, I have a question that I wanted to ask, Jeff. So we know that, like, I, I think even people who are fans of Sony have, you know, there are things they really, like pros and cons. There are things that we really like about Sony, but other things we're like, man, what are y'all doing? Jeff, you, you, you've been a critic of Sony, and, and, and fairly in a lot of ways, but, like, as far as a company goes, like, as far as SIE, like, when it comes to somebody in the industry who has insight that we don't have, like, what do you think that Sony does really well about their games or their strategies and what they do really poorly? Like, what are their pros and cons? Um, I don't know about a lot of cons right now. The cons that I had back in the day, well, one, the PlayStation 3 was a real PETA to develop for because of the cell processor um, and having to feed those secondary SPU units, um, especially when you're making a game like Red Faction Guerrilla. And their certification process was always really hit or miss there because you had to send your game off to different certification authorities in different parts of the world. So your game could pass in North America and fail in Europe. And you'd be like, but it's the same game. So why aren't you guys actually using the same testing methodology and certification parameters all the way around? Where Microsoft was, you sent it to Microsoft and it either certified or it didn't certify. Sony got a lot better in that regard. It's now single source certification like Microsoft does. Um, I don't have anything against the company, and I, I honestly don't have anything against the platform. There are really good platform exclusives. Microsoft has learned a lot about that, and the amount of uh, acquisitions that they've made over the past half year or more points to that, although Microsoft is also being very open about they're not going to force any of these current multi-platform companies to be 
uh, proprietary to Xbox. Microsoft's just building out a games empire. Um, Microsoft has been far more open with crossplay than Sony was, and that could be a negative. Um, I definitely put that one in the negative category. Um, but overall, I don't. You people prefer one platform over the other, or people like so a lot of people own both, and that's fine. Um, the point that the point is is that we should all have access to a whole host of games, and we should have access to back catalogs so we don't lose the history of what the industry's done. And both Microsoft and Sony are very good on both of those fronts now. So, like, yeah, like with what they're doing with uh, PS Plus Premium, where they're doing they're offering a lot of PlayStation One games. I'm sure that like. You know, maybe maybe not a ton yet, but hopefully that kind of builds and builds and builds because Nintendo's really squandered that opportunity with their SNES and NES channels for their Switch Online service. But, you know, that has to be a positive for what Sony's trying to do is bring back more of those old games that you can play, you know, via, you know, a subscription fee to their service. Yes, we shouldn't be, oh, we have a new... I understand that maybe, like, the current gen, whatever the next generation of console is going to be is a hypothetical. I can understand if maybe that doesn't natively play back catalog. But that doesn't mean that these corporations should be locking off the back catalogs. We as consumers and we as hobbyist gamers should have access to the decades of depth that the industry has created at any given point in time. And I think that that kind of stuff, like making so much available via PlayStation Plus, you know, newer games, older games, like, it seems like Sony's finally, it's kind of the light's gone on where it's like, okay, that Gaikai technology we bought, because I know it's been a big criticism in the past, maybe they are finally starting to understand this is how we need to use it. They had game, they had the capability of doing Game Pass three or more years before Microsoft did Game Pass. They, they bought Gaikai a long time ago. And other than getting Dave Perry a gigantic payout, they really kind of squandered it for close to half a decade. And that really surprised me. But wasn't Gaikai basically the foundation for what was PlayStation Now? Yes, it was, but it could have been, they could have aimed larger. And they didn't. And now, and then Microsoft aimed much larger, and now Sony's kind of playing catch up. Uh, I was I was almost going to say it was a lack of vision, but I don't know if lack is the right word. Their vision was pointed elsewhere, where Microsoft has come out very strongly over the past four years or so about we want to get the catalog of games that we are in control of and making in as many people's hands as possible. And web streaming became a big way to do that. Uh, and they really, I thought, made a really great step when the chip shortage hit and people couldn't get Xboxes, the current ones, they upgraded all of the Game Pass streaming centers to be Xbox Series level, so you could just stream the the Series level games on your current Xboxes using the Edge browser because they wanted people to experience the new games and they knew that they couldn't get a hold of the hardware to do it. Um, and it's it's that sort of vision and the ability to adapt their data centers that shows that Microsoft just wants the games out there for people to play. And it's going to be the streaming systems that give us the forever ability to play the back catalogs. All right. Now, I have a question for you. I don't know uh, how knowledgeable you're going to be in answering this, but we often hear about, like, and you kind of referenced the, the cell technology in the PS3. And a lot of people now with the new PlayStation Plus Essential and, you know, uh, premium and all that, a lot of people are complaining because the gate, the PS3 games that you get through that service, you have to stream. You're not able to download. 
and you know you offers re- you you also referenced to how hard it was to develop for it. Is SL technology still affecting us as gamers now with that we can't we can't download the games we have to stream them because the technology is so different. Yes, um, you're not going to take the source code for a game, and a lot of times Sony doesn't even have access to the source code. Even for first party game companies, they probably don't have access to the source code. But you're not just going to take a PS3 uh, game and recompile the source code on a modern x86 architecture. It's just the internals of the two CPUs are so vastly different. The way memory is accessed is so vastly different. It's the same as the Xbox 360. It was a power PC processor, which is for that. That was it was weird because both companies hit these weird outlier architectures right then. Now, granted, the PS2 wasn't, but the original Xbox is closer to an Xbox One or an Xbox series than the Xbox 360 is because the original Xbox and the One and the series are all x86-based. They're very, very finely tuned PC architecture, um, AMD-based PC architecture. And the PS4 is a very finely tuned AMD PC architecture. Uh, as is the PS5. The PS5 is a little closer than the PS4 was, but they are both sort of approaching this uh, minimum of what they're going to be because of the availability of the hardware and the people that know the architecture. But the cell architecture was just way out there bizarre. Uh, and it, I mean, it was it, Sony took a Sony took a gamble. They partnered with Toshiba and they made this new CPU, and it was pretty interesting. Um, but it just was not. It didn't have the same depth and breadth of programming libraries that the Xbox did. Because even though the 360 was a power PC architecture, Microsoft adapted DirectX. And they added all of the necessary cross-compiler libraries to Visual Studio. So you weren't really coding for a different architecture. You were, you were coding to what you understood, and then Microsoft had given you the tools to make it work on that platform. It really wasn't the same on the Sony side of things. You had to really understand what to do with that chip and the, the sub-processors around it to get that platform to do anything. So you've ended up with these games that ran really great on that specific piece of hardware, but the only way you're going to play them is you're going to have to play them on that hardware and stream them. Now, that will switch at some point because time marches on and newer processors get faster and faster. And at some point, emulation will be able to emulate those chips at a speed where you can probably run it through an emulator at a reasonable, acceptable frame rate. But for the cell processor, that's going to be a while. Um, So really, the only way to do it is to run it on native hardware and stream stream the game to you. Or you're not going to see that library. All right. Fair enough. I mean, I, I know a lot of our listeners uh, probably didn't understand, you know, why we couldn't download the games, but I think you gave a very, very uh, impressive answer to that because I didn't know a lot of that stuff either. Yeah. yeah, and with, like, the PS3, like, I think Sony made a lot of mistakes with the PS3, but, you know, yeah, take your risks, make your mistakes, just learn from them. Don't keep making the same mistakes, and it seems like, and Jeff, you can tell me if I'm wrong about this, it seems like they have made it a point to make the PS4 and the PS5 easier to develop for than it was at least for the PS3. Yes. Yes. There are, there are some differences between the PlayStation and the 
Microsoft architectures. It comes down to memory access and pooled memory versus unified memory and the type of memory they're using. But overall, they have in OpenGL versus DirectX and this, that, and the other thing. But overall, they've made it very easy. And I, I'm not saying that the two companies work together on it, but they've both approached a an optimal platform that makes it easy for the developers to actually make cross-platform games. Right. It definitely makes it easy for engine manufacturers like Unreal to target their engine to multiple platforms, and then the game developers just target Unreal, and that removes a lot of the complexity. It's a it's a far different world of game development now than it even was on the 360 and PS3 days because of of really strong engines like Unreal. All right. Yield, do you have a question for Jeff before we move on? Yeah. Okay. All right. So before we get into what we're playing uh, again for the third week in a row, our community has stepped up and gave us some stats. Uh, and uh, Alex was very happy because he's in the lead on the stats. I finally get to be in the lead on something. And I can tell you, Jeff, Jeff is going to love the segment. He's going to be like, man, these guys spend this much time doing what? Uh, so Mark Fraser in our Facebook group has compiled a new list. Uh, his post says, bored today, so I hope everyone is ready for a weird, in-depth view of trophy collections. Over the years, my drive has changed between total trophies, plat counts, completion percentage, list difficulty, etc. It's also reflective in the podcast. I wonder if there's a way to incorporate all the fairly, all, incorporate all fairly to give a trophy score as such. Alas, uh, alas the method I've created may be the fairest, so... For the three main hosts, the scores are Alex, you got 31,513. I have 30,541. And Yield has 30,120. The way he calculated this was you get one point for each trophy. You get five points for each plat. And then uncommon to rare trophies, you get three points per trophy. That gives us our total points. Then when we take in the complete... Completion percentage minus the number of common trophies you have given a score boost or deduction, which happened in my case. You have a low completion and high common trophies. Then he multiplied the score by uh, the score to boost to give you a score. Uh, and then he wants more people to uh, give their PSN names so he can add us to the list. But currently, uh, according to Mark... Alex, you are in first place, I am in second place, and Yield, you are in third place. Well, and the reason that, at least for, you know, I'm not super great with math, but I, I figure I could decipher this, is that the reason I got such a big boost is because my completion percentage is 85% as far as trophies go. So I had a big boost in that regard over you all, which is kind of what put me over the top. Yes, uh, you you had a percentage, uh, a multiple percentage of uh, 49.68. Yield, you had 29.64, and I had a negative 17.32. So, uh, somehow, I took a negative in this. Uh, if anybody wants to see the post to understand exactly what I'm saying, just go to it. Uh, it was made on Saturday, so uh, go look at the post and... Hopefully, uh, Mark will give us updated stats on this in the future. Yeah, big thing, big shout out to Mark and a big thanks to him for doing this and, and putting as much effort. You know, Gareth has put effort into this, too. Thank you all for, and I think Rick also, looking at Tricky's trophies. Uh, the community, you know, analyzing our trophies and giving us different scores and, and different ways to rank us. So we, we appreciate that you all recognize the work that we put in. We definitely want to recognize the work that you all put in as well. So big shout out to Mark for that. 
And Jeff, you know, you may shake your head at the the trophy aspect of it, but hey, we're dumping tons of money into the games industry trying to get these virtual things. So, cheers. I mean, I I go achievement hunting. Um, that's fine. Which you, you were shocked at your gamer score. I mean, I guess you thought your gamer score wasn't like um, as high as it was. But what what kind of what games lately have you been playing to up your gamer score? Like, what are the kind of games you've been tra- chasing achievements in? Um, I hundred percented Weird West. How is that? It is. It takes a little getting into. Um, is it weird? It's, weird? it's weird. It was a little rough around the edges when I played it because I played it when it first came out. I've heard it's been patched up a couple of times. It's well worth it to get all the way through. You play the game as five different characters, um, and at the end of it. A lot of the choices you made and the amount of things you did um, are used to basically judge you. And I didn't expect any of that when I played the game. I thought it was just going to be a Western, but it's got this weird sort of metagame that you learn about as you play it. Um, and it's okay. It's I, I liked it. I finished it. I enjoyed it. I don't know if I would go back and play it again to try to come up with a different outcome. Um, I've also been playing Tunic. I'm very good friends with the husband and wife team that run Finji. Uh, so I always play the stuff that they put out. Um, Tunic, I haven't played it for enough time now that I've probably forgotten how to read the runes. Um, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It's got some really deep puzzles. And, uh, a bunch of us, um, from Volition and from NVIDIA, there's a lot of ex-Volition people at NVIDIA, believe it or not. About a dozen of us. Um, we've been playing a ton of Space Engineers recently, um, which is always sort of a fun game to get into and build stuff and and have battles. Um, it's a it's a survival game with construction, but all uh, spaceship based essentially. All right. Uh, before we well, go and see a thieves, always, always. Jeff, do you think with the news that Ubisoft is actually going to get Skull and Bones out? Do you think that's going to eat into the Sea of Thieves crowd? Not at all. Not 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 at all. Um, I think I, I think that they're similar but different enough. Skull, from what it looks like to me, Skull and Bones is going to have a much more serious side to it, where Sea of Thieves is just go in and and just make some cartoony mayhem. Um, I also don't understand the concept of two days after it was announced announce Skull and Bones, and then announce that Skull and Bones comes out the day before God of War Ragnarok. Like, it's going to get steamrolled. Sounds familiar. No, Tricky said that, see, I thought the bigger problem was that it's taken them so long to get the game out, but also the fact that, you know, a lot of games come out on Game Pass, you know, with, with your subscription. With Microsoft owning Sea of Thieves, I can't see them actually putting this game on Game Pass. I think they're going to be like, yeah, you're going to buy this because we have Sea of Thieves and we don't want you to eat into our game. I'll be I'll be interested. I'll be surprised because Microsoft is also very hands-off about where their studios uh, release their games. Great, yes. Um, uh, State of Decay and Sea of Thieves were tentpole original Game Pass games. Sea of Thieves is the reason I originally bought into Game Pass. You can buy Sea of Thieves Lock, Stock, and Barrel on Steam now. If you don't want to, if you don't want to go through Game Pass, you can buy it on the on Microsoft Store if you don't want to go through Game Pass. Um, so 
I don't know that I don't I would it would surprise me if they did that. Um I wouldn't be super surprised, but I would be somewhat surprised. I just I don't know. The game has such a the game has such a troubled history of development that I am I'm treating it not at all as any sort of day zero interest. I, I, I'm going to let it cook a little bit and see what people say. I'll probably end up trying it, but I like Sea of Thieves for not being photorealistic and serious. I like it for it's it's lighthearted and funny, and it really, at the end of the day, you don't get all that pissed off if you have a ship full of loot and someone takes it from you, because there's always more loot to go get. See, when you say that, I kind of envision something that kind of, like, in the style of Fortnite, and we know how, like, popular Fortnite is, so, you know, super realistic isn't always, you know, the right way to go with a game, so. And it's weird because when you talk about Skull and Bones, like, a cool concept, but they also, from what I, I, I've heard, they built it off an Assassin's Creed game, a mechanic in an Assassin's Creed game, and it's like, the fact that they had to change the concept of the game partway through the development tells me that they had this idea at the beginning, but it didn't have, have meat to it. So like, oh, wait, it's like we kind of like had to change course because we didn't actually know what we were going to do. We just thought this was going to be, oh, some people like playing this, you know, in, in burst. Oh, let's turn that into a game. But oh, wait, we didn't actually know which direction we were going to go with this. And so we have to actually figure it out now. So like I, I think the kind of a lot of the mystery surrounding the game and the fact that it took so long for them to even like show it off is 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 more harmful than god of war because i mean god of war is a completely different game and you know there's only so many people it's not gonna come out to pc right away there's only so many people who own playstation so you think about xbox well it's not gonna come to switch but you think about xbox and pc like, i i don't know i feel like there's still gonna be enough people to play skull and bones but you know i i just see them as way too weighted two different games for for god of war to really be you know all that detrimental to skull and bones I just well, I think it's going to get buried in the marketing blitz. Like, like they're you know they're going to market the crud out of God of War, and is Skull and Bones going to be able to at least hold enough interest for the people that aren't already? Is Skull and Bones going to be able to claw out enough advertising space for the people that may be interested in it but don't yet know about it? Because keep in mind, there are always a ton of people that are going to be interested in the game that aren't as into the hobby as. Your listeners and us. Let me ask you this: When you know for for Ubisoft and Skull and Bones, does anybody like from Ubisoft ever say if they know a big game's coming out or potentially going to come out during the holiday season, like a God of War? Does anyone from Ubisoft ever contact Sony and be like, "When is when are you?" I mean, I guess Sony's not going to tell them when it's coming out because then they don't want that to get out. But is there any ever any contact in between the studios so that they don't like, "Hey, when are you planning to release this?" So we don't. Put our game right next to yours. I don't know if there's direct contact, but you generally get a good idea. You can also get a really good idea when you as a studio call, you make the contact to Sony or Microsoft to try and get uh, certification slots. Um, you don't just finish your game and send it off to Microsoft when you're ready. Like You schedule with both... All, Nintendo also. You schedule with these companies for... I'm going to ship you the game that I want you to certify, and we're going to ship it to you on this date. And we know it's going to take a month, and you're either going to pass it or fail it. And so we're going to need to schedule a second certification about a month or, or six weeks after the first one. We may or may not use it. Because if you pass first, if you pass certification first time, 
then that's it. Microsoft or Sony handles sending the game off to duplication. You're not allowed to touch it again because you might disrupt something. You schedule those years in advance. And if you call up and you're like, yeah, you know what? I want, I want to do my game and I want to certify it with Microsoft and Sony and I want to do it, you know, August 2023 so I can have it out for Christmas. And Microsoft and Sony are probably going to laugh at you and be like, we are so overloaded with testing in August that you're just not, it's not going to happen. So then you're like, well, gee, what am I going to do? If I can get it in in October, then maybe I can get it out right after Christmas. So you can get a general feel from what the certification schedule is like. Now, for these midsummer releases, if you look at it, or if you go back and you look at a bunch of historical release dates, you'll see that there's a big push around Black Friday. There's a big push right after Christmas. And generally, there's a big push right around Gamescom, end of July, August timeframe. They're generally about every, every third of a year. There's a big release window. Um, and so, yeah, there's going to be a lot of stuff coming out. In the August time frame. I mean, Saints Row, God of War, um, you know, Skull and Bones is a little later, but that window is filling up with some big releases because they want to, they, they, why they don't hold them till Christmas, I don't know. Uh, I can tell you for Saints Row is Saints Row was delayed so much, it's time to get it out there. It also lines up with the corporation's fiscal quarters because these publicly traded companies don't like to slip things over fiscal quarters because then they have to change guidance for their for their shareholders for how they think they're going to do the next fiscal quarter. So there's a lot of variables that play into it, not necessarily just, oh, this other studio is going to release things. And then you have the constant churn of it's the Wild West on release dates on Steam. Like, Steam doesn't do that. Like, you submit a game to Steam, they're like, okay, we'll put it up on the store. You know, whenever you want. All right. Uh, Jeff, we have a question from our Twitch chat. Uh, Rick wants to know, what is the first console that you worked as a dev on? Xbox 360, Red Faction Guerrilla. Great game. Yeah. All right. Guess who? Guess who's doing the destruction portion for the uh, NVIDIA Omniverse engine? Who would that be? The same person that wrote the destruction engine for Red Faction Guerrilla. Pretty amazing. He's one of the he's one of the twelve or so Volition people that are over at Nvidia. There's a there's a pipeline from Volition to Nvidia, but uh, I, I guess it just means that people from Volition are well respected in the industry, and uh, Nvidia is like, you know what, we need to get some of those people on our team. I'll tell you right now, I wasn't I was getting ready to look, I wasn't actively looking, and then I was chatting with an old Volition friend who's been at Nvidia for about five years. We were chatting in Steam one night. He was playing Factorio and. We just kind of shooting the crap and he's like hey you should look at this and sent me a link and it was for a job description and i read it all and i'm like hey, that's that's pretty interesting he goes don't you think the title of that job description should be senior jeff hannah i'm like yeah probably he goes good because i've already referred you internally <laughs> and, and that's it that's that's how i that's how it started and about about four weeks later i was an nvidia employee that's amazing all right, well, speaking of joining teams, Sony has completed its $3.7 billion deal to acquire Bungie and welcome it into the PlayStation fan. Are we going to do what we've been playing? No. I did. Yeah, we did Jeff's. Yeah, we did Jeff's. So, and then you guys just play a bunch of Rocket League and that industrial the capitalist game that Tricky's always playing. Adventure capitalist. Yeah. yeah. See, there, we're done. See, we're done. 
Yeah, Rocket League and whatever that is. Cookie Clicker for people that don't like Cookie Clicker. <laughs> Alice has been playing Assassin's Creed. I've been playing uh, The Division. Yield has been playing a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, Deep Rock Galactic. Well, can Fair I enough? can I can I say one thing? Yes, sir. You you want to you know conversational <laughs> pieces on this you. show? I I'm just joking with you, Alex. Go no, ahead. No, he's not. I really you know I've been enjoying my time with Assassin's Creed, even though I do feel it's a little bloated as far as the mission go, missions go. But overall, I think they did a fantastic job with rebuilding the ancient Egyptian world. But I had been kind of expecting something out of this game when it comes, you know, you, you, you know, Tricky's talked about how you go to Valhalla, actually, when you play Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Well, there are some pretty awesome Egyptian gods, and I'll tell you what, I was expecting to see some of those gods in this game. How, how could you do ancient Egypt and not do the gods? Well, Ubisoft is like, Alex, my friend, we got your back, because the, uh, the Animus glitches, I just found these this week since our last show. You get to fight three 30 to 40 foot tall Egyptian gods including my boy Anubis. So, like, that that was, like, something for me, like, playing this game. I put the, the question out on Trophy Whores on the Facebook page, but it's just, like, it's one of those things, like, I ask people, it's like, do you, do you feel like there's ever a thing in a game, like, an aspect or, like, a mechanic or whatever, a boss fight that you feel is directly tailored to you? Like, they had a pipeline to your brain. And for me, like, getting to fight, you know, Sekhmet and, and Sobek and then also Anubis. I haven't fought Anubis yet, but I've fought the other two and beat them. But, uh... Like, being able to see the way they present those and have them included in the game as, like, a boss fight. Like, they're not super hard. You know, they're, they're, their attacks are easy to, to, um, to dodge. But, like, seeing them in the game and the way they're presented, I was just awestruck. And it was just kind of one of those moments, like, man, they made this exactly for me. Like, it felt tailor-made for me. So I just really appreciated that. So, I just, I wanted to share my love of that with the Trophy Horse community. Because, uh, like, we play games for enjoyment. We play, we play games to have those moments. You know, the, the, for me, the Shredder's Revenge, having Ground Chuck and Dirtbag as a boss fight, we play games for those kind of moments. And that was just a moment in Assassin's Creed Origins where it's like, I went to the Animus Glitch and had no idea I was going to fight Sobek, a 30-foot, 40-foot alligator god. And you know what? When it happened, I was like, oh, this is what's happening. I was just, you know, I just wanted to share that. I thought it was fantastic. All right. And uh, Rick in the Twitch chat reminded me that you also been playing World of Warships. I have World of Warships, Farm Simulator 19, Star Wars Jedi Knight, Jedi Academy, Rayman Legends, Deep Rock Galactic, Church in the Darkness, Rocket League, and Siphon Filter. Alright. Going back to the topic, uh, yes, Sony has uh, completed the purchase. Sony, uh, I'm sorry, Bungie on Twitter said, we are proud to officially join the incredible team of PlayStation. We're excited for the future of our company, and we are inspired to bring together players from all over the world to form lasting friendships and memories. Which they also closed on their purchase of Haven, too. And again, like, I'm... I understand that people, like, this company hasn't yet put out a game, and, like, you got Jade Raymond at the head of it, and, you know, she was, you know a big part of the original Assassin's Creed game and what they got that series off the ground. But, like, people, like, dumping on this decision, it's like, what you all don't understand is you're someone sitting in the peanut gallery who has not seen what they've done. I guarantee Sony has seen what they're making and said, and we're so impressed by it, they're like, yeah, we're buying that. So, like, it's okay. Like, I understand people aren't super thrilled about it because they don't know, you know, like what exactly they're going to put out. But again, when the company who has seen it is like, yeah, we're going to buy you guys immediately. Like maybe don't, I just get tired of people shitting on stuff like that. You know? 
have have faith. If you're willing to buy a $500 console from somebody or a $400 console, have faith that they're not going to make stupid decisions with their money. Until Dawn Developer has been acquired by Nordisk Games. Alex, you posted this in the Facebook group. But this article is coming from IGN and is written by Ryan Dinsdale. <coughs> Supermassive Games, the developer behind Until Dawn, the Dark Pictures Anthology, and the Quarry has been acquired by Nordic Games. Part of the larger Nordic film brand, the Denmark-based entertainment company owns a handful of other developers, including Avalanche Studios, and who is the creators of Just Cause. As reported by GamesIndustry.biz, uh, Nordisk Games acquired 30.7% in Supermassive in March last year, but announced in a blog post that it now wholly owns the studio. Quote, having such a positive experience over the past year, it wasn't difficult. It wasn't a difficult decision when Nordic Games wanted to explore increasing their investment. That comes from the CEO of Supermassive, Pete Samuels. Uh, we have an exciting, ambitious growth strategy for Supermassive Games, and Nordisk Games' ownership only enhances that. I'm usually excited about where the security offered by this partnership and increased access to the expertise within Nordic Games will take us next. Excuse me. Now, Alex, uh, you posed the question in the Facebook group that should Sony have bought them up when they made Until Dawn? So I have to step away from the microphone real quick, so I'm going to let you lead this conversation, Alex. Happy to do it, Tricky. So, yeah, like, this is probably a great example of why I shouldn't be in charge of, like, buying things you know, at Sony or, like, buying studios. I mean, like, you made a great game. Come on. Come on board. Um, but, yeah, after playing Until Dawn, which was one of those really underrated PS4 games at a time, I was like, man, Sony should really buy Supermassive Games because they did some good work on this. And, you know, since then, they've done the Dark Pictures anthologies, which haven't, you know, always hit the mark as far as expectations goes. But, they, you know, the quarry is said to be a fantastic game, and I think at the end of the year might get some consideration for Game of the Year. So... I mean, they've done really good work, and they proved to be a very reliable studio. But yeah, you know, after one game, I was I was sold. I was like, let's buy, bet the farm, go get super massive. So, um, and I just kind of posed the question: like, should should they have bought super massive, or is it one of those things? Where it's, eh, well, let's let's be more careful with our money because I know that at that point, Sony wasn't really acquiring many studios, and of course, there wasn't really Nintendo hardly ever seems to acquire anybody, and Microsoft, you know, they hadn't bought Bethesda yet, so it wasn't really a period of just gobbling up studios at that point so jeff as far you know i don't know if you've had any uh any kind of interactions with the people of supermassive games but kind of what's your overall thoughts on that studio and, and kind of their 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 game making abilities now is nordisk games a division of novo nordisk the people that make the uh um the drugs i i i'm going to assume that's a joke sir because i i i would have to start to google that but uh Novo Nordisk makes a diabetes drug. Is this? Uh, are, are they aiming for the aging gaming market with this? You know what? We're all going to get it at some point. Drinking all our Mountain Dew, you know, with Halo, with uh, Master Chief on it. So, you know, Paula Dean ran all those cooking shows about put eighteen pounds of butter in your meals, and then everyone got diabetes, and then she became a spokeswoman for Novo Nordisk, which seemed like double dipping to me. Um, so every time I see the name of this company, that's all I can think about. I don't think they're related, but it's really weird. Um, I don't know much about Supermassive. I definitely tweak the same way that you just were describing as when Until Dawn came out, this, the industry was not in this period of massive consolidation that we see now. Um, big buyouts were not happening. I think at the time, um, 
we were all still reeling about billions paid for Minecraft. Um, and everyone was like, that's the biggest acquisition ever. And granted, Microsoft's done amazing with Minecraft. There wasn't Microsoft grabbing Bethesda and Activision Blizzard and Sony buying Destiny and Nintendo not buying anybody. Um, but it just wasn't... Uh, I mean, even even THQ Nordic wasn't in the level of acquisitions that they have been recently. And so it was just of a different time. And you just didn't expect to make a blockbuster and get bought by a publisher. Um, and the industry does this. There are these periods of contraction and massive acquisition where everyone sort of comes to the point that they expect that to be the case of making a blockbuster. And then there are long periods where that doesn't happen. And I don't know what causes those, but we just weren't there at that point in time. Yeah, it's weird because like a lot of people look at Sony and Microsoft and the arms race between those two. And, you know, you have this, you know, Supermassive being, you know, they the, the the one company Nordisk had a minority share in it, and then they decided to, you know, just acquire the company full out. And then you had, uh, what was it, was Square Enix selling off all their Western companies, their Western development studios. But there it's not just Sony and Microsoft, it's all these other companies popping up, and I can't remember who bought all those studios. It was one company, and then you hear, like, all the stuff that they've acquired so far. I'll have to look that up, but... So it's 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 not just Sony and Microsoft. There's just massive consolidation going around the industry now. And is that a good thing or a bad thing, Jeff? It's a thing. It's neither good nor bad. Uh, it's like I said. It it ha it's a cyclical thing. Um, I think it's it would have been a very bad thing if both Sony and Microsoft made these acquisitions and immediately came out and said we're taking these companies platform specific. Sony has said that that's not going to happen with Destiny. Like, Destiny is not going to become a PlayStation-only game. Microsoft has been very clear that Bethesda can do what Bethesda wants, and if if, if and when the acquisition closes, um, that Activision Blizzard can do what Activision Blizzard wants. Again, this goes back to Microsoft just wants to make games that are available to gamers. And Sony is, is starting to behave the same way. I mean, Sony's moving a lot of their catalog out of the PC which is a good thing. So I don't, if it's, if it's going to give these companies the ability to have the funding to continue to make great games, it's wonderful. And I don't know of anybody at a Microsoft acquired studio. And I will be honest and open. Um, there is now a Microsoft back on uh, undead labs, satellite studio right across the street from Volition in downtown Champaign, Illinois. Um, that's been there for about six months. Um, and they have a person working in there that uh, works for In Exile, which is a Microsoft-owned studio. And they may end up with one or two people there um, in that same building that worked for Activision Blizzard. There is a there is a big diaspora of game development companies in Champaign now, because I wasn't the only one that left at the end of last year. Um, there's NVIDIA, there's Undead Labs, there's In Exile, there's Activision Blizzard, there's both Sony Bend and Sony Santa Monica, there's, uh, and probably three or four others, there's EA people here now, because everyone's working from home. Now, Microsoft built that Undead Labs studio, and they're probably going to put the Microsoft Game Studio umbrella over it, um, but that just speaks to the depth and breadth that Microsoft has acquired, and Sony's doing the same thing. And I think if, if these companies were in a sellout position or they needed the funding to make the next step, 
and they were open to being purchased by a bigger company, that's their business decision. And I think it's fine. It's not it's not the nineties where EA would buy studios just to get IP and then shut the studios down. It's a totally different environment now. Yeah, I mean what we're seeing in, in games is, is is it's less about I mean for Sony very much it is still buy our console, but a lot uh, a lot of what we're gonna see moving forward is buy into our streaming service, buy into our, our system. So how much of Sony saying, well, Destiny is going to be, I mean, I'm sure they had to say that to agree, allow Destiny to be wherever they want it to be, to be able to buy Bungie in the first place, or else Bungie wouldn't agree to it. But how much of is Microsoft and Sony being like, you know, we're not, we're going to keep stuff multi-platform. Yeah, they'll make more money, but how much of it is we get to, you know, we get to control whether or not this uh, IP is free or a part of Game Pass or advantageous on Game Pass as compared, compared to PlayStation Plus, or it's more advantageous to own it through PlayStation Plus and it's through uh, Microsoft. And how much of it is them trying to avoid antitrust things? It's like, well, it can't be antitrust if it's all the same price and still available on all these consoles. I think you need to look at it more as a as foundational moves for a console as future. Which, I mean, Microsoft seems more prepared to make that jump than Sony or Nintendo. I, I still think Nintendo's screwed in that regard because they they have no preparation for that whatsoever. So when people, I mean, yes, Sony is catching up to Microsoft, but when, when you look at Sony, it's like, man, Nintendo's even further behind, which... Um, but Nintendo's always been an odd duck. And their curated catalog of games designed for a specific handheld hardware has really been Nintendo's bread and butter since the early 90s. Yes, the NES and the SNES and the Nintendo 64 and my favorite one, the GameCube, they were all outstanding consoles. But during all of those, the Game Boys were a far bigger revenue stream. And so Nintendo sort of has the mobile gaming market in the palm of their hands. And I don't know, I don't know that that gravy train is going to come screeching to a halt anytime soon. Because not having Wi-Fi and being able to slot an SD card in your Switch and play a game on an airplane or a bus or a car is a different thing than having a broadband connection and a web browser. But overall, I think a lot of the acquisitions and a lot of we're going multi-platform sort of thing is this push to make games infinitely accessible. And I think you have to look at that with a long view of maybe not the series and the PlayStation 5 maybe maybe we get one more but at some point the streaming hardware in the televisions and the broadband connections are going to be enough that it's just going to be more cost effective for these companies to build data centers than to build and try to sell hardware at retail um it would make them a lot more immune to things like the scalping and the chip shortage that we just saw and we're still sort of coming out of um, and so I'm sure all of those types of things weigh on these companies. And hardware is a risky flip in business. You really, it's, it's. I mean, look at all these Kickstarters that people do. Look at the, the OUYA from 10 years ago. You know, making hardware even for small batch things is not a fun endeavor. It takes teams of people, like huge teams of people to, to pull it off. We're, making a data center isn't nearly as complex. Um, so I think, I think you just, you have to, you have to look at the long view. You have to look at 10 years down the road and that we're seeing, we're seeing the foundational moves to make that future more of a reality. 
All right. Uh, Jeff, you said something earlier that uh, wants me to bring up, uh, get your opinion from a story we did two weeks ago. Uh, are you well? Are, are you aware that Spellbreak Developer has been acquired by Activision? Uh, I did not know that Activision was making acquisitions during the SEC approval process for their Microsoft buyout. No. Okay. So a couple of weeks ago, we reported that Spellbreak Developer was acquired by Blizzard to work on World of Warcraft, and they're shutting down Spellbreak. Um. So I I just wanted to get your opinion because I thought. It was pretty shitty that Blizzard would buy the company and immediately tell them you have to shut down your game because you have to work on the next World of Warcraft expansion. So I I just wanted to get your opinion on that because you were saying before that how EA doesn't buy an IP just to shut down the studio. This I mean obviously they didn't buy the IP or they bought the IP but they're shutting down the IP and just taking all those employees and saying now you got to work on what we've been working on. Forget what you've been working on for years. Right. And there's three sides to every story. I would have to look into how Spellbreak was doing. Like, like was it may, maybe the company was amenable to a buyout to work on something that wasn't Spellbreak? Um, maybe they were done with it. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't keeping the lights on. And so their choice was either to sell and work on something else or not exist. Um, and I, the. the it could be that Activision Blizzard came to them and said, hey, we are going to buy you to work on this, and here is a gigantic bag of cash to do that. Uh, making the assumption that it was they got bought and then were immediately told, you're not going to work on this anymore, is it, it may not be the truth. All right, well, I, I just linked the article if you want to look at that uh, in the Skype chat. Uh, but basically, it basically says the first line says, Spellbreak developer will seemingly be acquired by Blizzard to work on World of Warcraft with a major consequence being that Blizzard-based Battle Royale will be shut down. That's literally the first line of the, the article. Oh, before we move on, Tricky, I did, I want to look up, I did want to share, I looked up the uh, the company that bought all the uh, the companies, for the developed studios from uh, Square Enix. It was Embracer, Embracer Group, who, as we talked about on the show, also owned Co- uh, Cook Media and Gearbox. So, they buying up people. Embracer owns... Koch, which owns Deep Silver, which is a direct line to Volition. Uh, just, just for honest and upfront. Not that I work for them anymore. Um, yeah. And they have turned Gearbox into... the One thing you may not know, and this was very quiet, at the end of last year, they bought Perfect World, and they bought uh, Cryptic. And Cryptic does not report to Deep Silver, which has historically been the Koch Media North American publisher... Those two studios report to Gearbox, which was somewhat surprising to me, and I am wondering if Embracer is starting to diminish the Deep Silver name in North America, because honestly, historically, they haven't had a lot of well-known Deep Silver titles, like Metro and Saints Row and Agents of Mayhem are kind of the big three, and then there's a lot of mid-tier stuff that comes out of that that publisher. So I, I'm wondering if Embracer isn't going to start building Gearbox up more as a big North American publisher and not just a game developer. Alright. <clears throat> uh, going back to the topics at hand. Uh, Sony has introduced a new loyalty program called the PlayStation Stars. This is written by Ryan Dinsdale over at IGN. Sony has announced a new rewards program Call of PlayStation Stars that will allow players to earn points with real cash value. Announced on the PlayStation blog, the loyalty program will begin later this year, though Sony didn't say exactly when, 
and will be free to sign up. Players will be able to compete, complete objectives with some simple as playing a game once a month to earn points that can be later redeemed on the PlayStation Store or for other rewards. The catalog of items may include PSN uh, wallet funds and select PlayStation Store per- products, and members of PlayStation Plus will also receive points for purchasing items on the store, similar to the My Nintendo program on the Switch. Outside of the PlayStation-related rewards, players can also earn, quote, digital collectibles, end quote, that are, quote, digital representations of things PlayStation fans enjoy, including figurines of beloved and iconic characters from games and other forms of entertainment, as well as cherished devices that tap in, uh, yeah, cherished devices that tap into Sony's history of innovation, end quote. Additionally, according to the Washington Post, the first player to get a platinum trophy in certain games will receive extra special reward, which no one else can get. It's not clear exactly how this works. There's no mention of it being within a local time zone, or it could be a territory race for the platinum rather than a global one. But PlayStation has promised it will crack down on any attempts to get the rewards through fraudulent means. So, Yield, I'm going to go to you first because I know you shared this in the Facebook group. What are your thoughts on this new PlayStation Stars loyalty program? Um, I kind of like when Sony does stuff, you know, free stuff like this. I like how they're going to... We'll have to see how more of it unfolds, but I like the idea of how you can earn points and then turn it into either stuff from the store or funds in your wallet just for basically playing their games. Um, the whole race for a platinum thing, while I think it's interesting, I also think that it does neglect a vast majority of the player base by doing that. But that's just a personal thing. Other than that, I think it's a cool idea. Alex, your thoughts? So is this replacing that Sony reward system that we you were able to earn by getting a certain number of like platinum trophies and whatnot, you could earn money on the PlayStation Network? That, I think, was within the... Well, that was a program based within the PlayStation card, the credit card. I don't think that was with... Net, I don't think that was naturally within Sony's PlayStation ecosystem. I think that was just a perk of the credit card. But I do remember years ago, uh, they had like kind of like an auction where you could auction off your gold trophies for prizes. Uh, it didn't take them off your account, but like if you say if you had a hundred gold and I had a hundred and one gold, I could bid a hundred and one gold for that item, get a real life item, but then. You know, in the next auction, I didn't have any more gold to auction off. I remember something like that. I like that all in all the news about this. They like Sony is quick to dispel the. Uh, they're like these are not NFTs. Just so you all know, these are not NFTs. And uh, the fact that they had to come out and say that shows that the stuff included in this is close to NFTs. Like how close? I I don't know because I haven't seen it yet. But. Um... Tricky, but based on your comment in the chat there, it doesn't seem like you're very happy about this. No, no, that, that was uh, that was something else. That has to do with a Twitch streamer who sickens me is advertising for uh, a certain video game. Ah, okay. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, any way that you, any loyalty program that you have where I can earn points or earn money back on your ecosystem just by playing your games, which I'm going to do anyway, is fine with me. I'm glad that Sony's like, hey, we're not doing NFTs. Because I don't understand NFTs, and even less so, I, I, I don't really understand why anyone would want to buy an NFT. 
think it's ridiculous. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I like the fact that Sony's like, you can earn money for your PSN wallet by playing games, which is something I already do. So Microsoft's had a loyalty point program on Xbox for years and years and years. Well, I mean, Jeff, we, we know that uh, Microsoft, as far as systems go, the infrastructure for, for their online services, that they have uh, been well ahead of Sony in those regards. Yeah, I, I've got no problem with a loyalty program at all. I mean, it's it, it's the race to a platinum thing bothers me because it's going to be open to exploitation, and it also means people are going to play the game to get through the game as fast as possible, not to necessarily enjoy the title. Um, but that's their choice. I, I would argue people already do that. Well, like, people, you're right. There are a certain group of people that do that. Um, but are you catering to the minority with this Platinum Race, or are you actually doing something that is going to build a community? But Microsoft, I mean, you log if you have the app installed, you log on to your Xbox, and it'd be like, okay, you know, turn in your turn in your weekly challenges for you know playing these games. It's been in there for a long time, and you build up Microsoft points, and it's nice because it is in fact Microsoft points, not Xbox points. So using Bing searches and various other things in Windows actually add to your point total and then you can you can cash those points in for game pass uh subscription cards or various other things and i've i've got no problem with it all right tricky tricky did you want to share your your thoughts sir uh i like loyalty programs but i'm uh i linked the wrong thing in the next uh sorry i'm getting distracted um I like loyalty programs, and I, I appreciate when somebody tries to do one, but I I want to wait and see what actually is being announced before I give like full opinions on this. If the, if they're giving us a chance to earn free games and stuff like that, great, awesome. But somewhere in me, I'm feeling like this is going to be a big letdown on the things that we can actually redeem. Well, I'm sure they'll uh, shoehorn it. Uh, average geeks in the chat says Sony will find will 100% find a way to fuck this up. Um, and Rick says you could literally save them up and buy consoles through Microsoft. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and average geeks is right. If you've been with if you've been a fan with Sony long enough, the saying a month of gamers are they take two steps forward and five steps back. So I as awesome as this sounds. Sony will find a way to Sony it up. And Rick also says, the day we lose consoles is the day I become a full-time retro gamer. Okay. That might be where the future's heading, Rick. And we, we, got, we got it with Spotify. We got stuff like that with Spotify for music, Netflix and other streaming services for movies and TV. It's coming for games, too. But that is also kind of my point. We all want to, at some level, be retro gamers, and the best way to be able to be retro gamers is for that stuff to be streamed. Retro Arch is cool and all, but it's sort of a pain in the ass to keep going. But if I could just log on to a service like Antstream, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Antstream, you should look it up, um, and pay a monthly subscription fee and have access to an entire back catalog of 90s classic 16-bit games that stream to me, sign me up. Well, you're, you're talking about retro games. Uh, that actually leads into our next article here. And Konami is reinstating delisted Metal Gear games 
uh, for the series 35, 35th anniversary. Uh, as reported by VGC, Konami's Japanese Twitter account posted to... to I, why can't I say that word? Commiterate? Uh, commemorate. Commemorate. Uh, the anniversary and announced the fans seemingly soon that once again we'll be able to play temporary suspended entries. Quote, the Metal Gear series released on July 13th, 1987, celebrated its 35th anniversary today. We are prepared to resume sales of the titles that have been temporarily suspended. This uh, and the games that were suspended were Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty, Le Sons of Liberty HD on the PS3 and Vita, Snake Eater uh, HD on the 3 and the Vita, uh, Metal Gear Solid HD on the 3, the Collection on the Vita and the PS Now. Uh, the AC edition, which was on the two, the two and three, which was on the 360, Snake Eater 3D, which was on the 3DS, Substance, which was on GOG.com, and uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3 HD for Shield TV on Nvidia Shield. Okay, trivia time. Okay. On which platform did the original Metal Gear game appear? The MSX. Yep. Which was only in Japan. Yes, but someone just recently, like within the past six months, ported it to the Commodore Amiga. I actually, I, I know that answer, and I kind of feel like I cheated a little bit, but I, I don't think it's cheating. I literally just watched a four-hour YouTube video of the history of Metal Gear, and that's how I know that. Uh, and Rick had the right answer in the chat, too. I don't know if he, because he's on a delay, I don't know if he got it before I did or not. Interesting uh, to me that that wasn't one of the titles they had in the lineup. Like they're not they're not giving you a way to play the original emulated anywhere. I I kind of find it weird, and I mean I guess I kind of understand that we never got like an HD version of the original Metal Gear games. No, and the Nintendo the NES version isn't nearly as good as the original MSX version. Right. It's a, it's approachable and it's playable, but it's not as good at all. Oh right. wow! Because I thought the first Metal Gear was amazing, so that must have been really good. It's better on the MSX. It really is. Yeah. So, if you're a Metal Gear fan, I I think this is kind of leading into news that we're going to get a new Metal Gear game as well. Although that wasn't said or mentioned or even referenced at all. But you gotta you gotta think that Konami's not going to let Metal Gear die. So. Doesn't mean that they'll do good things with it, though. Well, I mean, look what they did with uh, the last one. Survive. I mean, literally the best thing that company has done is announce a, bunch, a collection of Ninja Turtles games from the NES and SNES days. Alright. Uh, I'm going to skip our next topic because it actually doesn't apply to any more... Uh, Alex, I, you put this in the chat, but I, it's kind of outdated now because it was wrong. So I'm going to skip that. Fair enough. Uh, Alright, so at this point, we are going to go to our Facebook group and have some questions. But before we do that, you know what we got to do. Time to check my social media, Alright, so Jeff, uh, as is customary with our guest... Uh, do you like that sound, or do you hate it? Uh, I'm gonna call Disney and report you. <laughs> just to just to put a bullet in it, finally. So you don't like it? Uh, not really. Okay. But I, there's some bad blood with me and, and the Lion King and a date in college, so 
it's it just it hits a nerve. Oh, there you go, Tricky. You done did it. That, that that's gonna have to be a, a, a Patreon exclusive episode where we talk to Jeff about his hatred of the Lion King. <laughs> All right. So coming from Facebook, uh, I put there's actually two threads. Um, uh, so the first question is coming from David Bray. Says, uh, I know they had servers for them. Uh, but how hard would it be for Sony or developers to put a game back online like Warhawk or Mag for the new Plus slash Game Plus uh, Game Pass? So I guess this is kind of directed towards you, Jeff. How hard would it be to put those servers back online? <sighs> Whoa! Um, sorry. Uh, it depends. It I mean. It depends on what servers they were written for. Um, if they were written for a bank of PCs, eh, it's probably an issue. Is it something that you could spin up a bunch of AWS virtual servers and have connected to? Then it's a money issue. And how, how much money are they going to make? How much money they're going to make off of one of these older games to pay to have the infrastructure running month after month? And I don't know what the break-even point on those are. I don't know what it costs to run, to call up, like, a Google or a Microsoft Azure or an, an, an Amazon Web Services and have them spin up a bunch of servers like that for you. So, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a technology issue. It's a money-in-the-pocket issue at the end of the day. All right. Uh, let's go into other thread, which I... Also started by David Bray, uh, which got a lot of comments on the uh, Facebook group. So I'm going to go through the answers before I go to your uh, your answers, gentlemen. Uh, he wants to know, here's a question for everyone. What weapon in any game, movie, or TV show would you love to have and be real? For him, it has to be a lightsaber. Uh, so Matt G responds by saying, the portal gun. And he says, before anyone says it's not a weapon, you haven't seen the damage I do to my partner in Portal 2. Garrett says, uh, Spider-Man's web shooters. Dupe says he likes the Blades of Chaos. Uh, Rick says Lucille, but no consequences of using it. Homer says, if not a lightsaber, I'd like to go with the air taser from Siphon Filter. Uh, Harry says the BFG 9000, which I think is a Doom weapon. Okay. Uh, Mark Fraser comes back and says the plasma cutter. Uh, Andrew says the plasma cannon from Space Marine. Alex Gonzalez says the master sword from Zelda. Curtis says the dildo bat from Saint Row the Third. But seriously, I've always wanted the lightsaber. Yield, I'm gonna skip your answer because you can say it live. And JT says, give me this weapon and the body build to boot, which uh didn't give me the name, um, but it's from One Piece. So I don't know what the name of the weapon is. So we'll go. Uh, we'll start with you. Yield. You say your weapon is what? Uh, I would say a lightsaber, either the dual one, like Maul had, or I would uh, have two of them, like Ahsoka or Star Killer, depending on which Star Wars you're going with. Uh, Alex, your weapon. You know, I'm a big Star Wars fan too, and I was kind of going to riff off of that. 
But I've always thought it would be really cool if you had, like, Wolverine's claws, but each claw was a lightsaber. So you would just have, like, these lightsaber claws. So I'm going to go with that. General Grievous. Yeah. I mean, General Grievous had, like, the spinning propeller ones that he had, but I'm talking about, like, claws that didn't spin around and you could just stab you. I don't know. That'd be really awesome. And I've always thought it'd be really cool, so... I can't. I, I can't really think of a weapon more awesome than a lightsaber. To be perfectly honest with you, I mean, some of the Ratchet and Clank guns, some of like the the Resistance guns, like the Auger, which you could use to shoot through walls. Yeah, like super cool. But when it comes down to it, just for the elegance and the simplicity of it, the lightsaber is kind of hard to beat. All right. Well, Rick says uh, I feel like we'd all be cutting our own arms off if we had lightsabers. Probably. Yeah. Hey, that never that never stopped anybody from using. Uh, fireworks, shooting off fireworks, even though there's many firework-related injuries around the United States, July 4th. Rick follows that up by saying, thinking we're all pro with them, but then suddenly your head goes off. Uh, Jeff, your weapon from any TV show, video game, or media? Okay, uh, one would be the North American P-51 Mustang from any World War II flight simulator. Um... But more importantly, the sword explosion from the Borderlands 2 DLC, Tiny Tina's Attack on Dragon Key. Because a shotgun that shoots ricocheting swords is just the best weapon ever. Okay. I was expecting Neil to come back with something. No. I'm, I'm imagining a shotgun that shoots ricocheting swords. Uh, if you have not played the Borderlands 2 DLC, Tiny Tina's Attack on Dragon Keep, you need to. No, I I can't play Borderlands because it's first person, but I'll take your word for it. All right. Uh, I'm trying to think of my answer. Because I was going to go with the dildo, dildo bat, but... Those are real. <laughs> you can buy those. You can find them used on eBay sometimes. All right. So, Curtis, uh, go go on eBay. Uh, Volition, well, more importantly, um, THQ made full-size purple dildo bats with baseball bat handles and surgical-grade latex and sent them off to reviewers in the run-up to Saints Row 3 being released. Um, You can find reviews on YouTube where people reviewed the dildo bat before they reviewed the game. And every now and then you'll find somebody clearing out their old gaming journalism box of stuff and selling one on eBay. And just how big were they? They were full... They were... Length of a baseball bat plus some, probably four, three and a half, four feet. Like it was full size. Uh, Rick says there only be uh, you can only find them used. I- I'm not going to go deep into that. <laughs> That's what she said. Uh, all right. So those are our questions. Uh, going back to the agenda. Uh, I'm going to preface this by saying, uh, the views and opinions that are going to be said on this show are not of mine or any other person than the person speaking it. Because I have a feeling that this is where it's going to go. Coming from IGN and written by Adam Bankhurst, former EA CEO says, devs who don't focus on microtransactions are the, quote, biggest fucking idiots. End quote. Uh, he has said this. Uh, he is now the CEO of Unity Technology. His name is John Receipt. Riccatello. There you go. And he spoke to PocketGamer.biz about this topic following the announcement of Unity and Iron Source's upcoming merger. When asked about the pushback that some developers have given regarding implementing monetization, monetization, 
Getting money. Monetization. Thank you. Sometimes I just cannot say words. Uh, Quote, Ferrari and some of the other high-end car manufacturers still use clay and carbon knives. It's a very small portion of the gaming industry that works that way. Some of these people are my favorite people in the world to fight with, but they're the most beautiful, pure, brilliant people. They're also some of the biggest fucking idiots. I've been in the game industry longer than most anybody. Getting to the gray hair and all that, it used to be the case that developers would throw their game over the wall to the publicist and sales force with literally no interaction beforehand. That model is baked into the philosophy that a lot of art forms and medium, and it's one I am deeply respectful of. I know their dedication and care. But this industry divides people between those who still hold the philosophy and those who massively embrace how to figure out what makes a successful product. And I don't know successful artists anywhere that doesn't care about what their player thinks. This is where the cycle of feedback comes back and they can choose to ignore it. But to choose to but choose to not know it at all is not a great call. I've seen great games fail because they've turned the compulsion loop into two minutes when it should have been an hour. Sometimes you would even notice the product difference between a massive success and a tremendous fail. But for this tuning and what I and what it does to the attrition rate, there isn't a developer on the planet that wouldn't want that knowledge. End quote. So, uh, gentlemen, I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Yield. Uh, what are your thoughts, sir? Well, I'm a little confused at what he's saying. Can you dumb it down for me? You can't, because he's confusing two different things in one paragraph. See, that's what I was thinking. Thank you, Jeff. Explain it to me. He completely conflates the idea of the compulsion loop and monetization. And he flips back and forth between what he's talking about in multiple sentences within those couple of paragraphs, and it comes across as he thinks that the compulsion loop has to be monetized, or you're an idiot. And the thing is, he also comes across as not understanding what he's talking about. Which may be why he's no longer at EA. Uh, you, you want to you buckle up for some stories? Yeah, sure. Uh, yes. The floor is yours, Jeff. Alright, just, let's get just for the this. record, Rick in the chat says, oh shit, it's about to kick off. And then he says, I mean, he's not wrong. You want money, then put microtransactions in and some fool will buy them. Okay, that is true. That is true. Um, I've been in the gaming industry longer than this guy, and I can tell you that with a fact, because Electronic Arts bought Kesmai, and I had already been working at Kesmai, and then this guy, John Riccatello, comes out to Virginia from the west coast before he became the ea of ceo of the before he became the ea ceo the first time he was the ceo of sara lee bakery this is his pedigree and he comes out to kesmai for those of you in the audience that are younger this whole concept of games as a service and logging on and downloading a client and playing massively multiplayer games that run on big servers kesmai was doing this on proprietary pre-internet services like Genie in the late 80s. They basically, de- they, they, they developed all of the things that we take for granted now for client-server massively multiplayer games. And Kesmai got onto AOL, and then EA wanted to bust into games, and they realized that to get a game on AOL, they had to come through us because they had the contract, so they instead bought us. 
And this previous CEO of Sara Lee flies out to the company that all but invented the concept of massively multiplayer games and starts off a presentation to a bunch of mid-20s game developers with making an online game is a lot like making a quiche. (coughs) And we all reacted just like that because, one, none of us fucking ate quiche. And two, what the fuck does that mean? And it went downhill from there. I was working on a multiplayer Battletech game, and it was in closed beta. And he spent the day playing it and talking it up really positively. And then there was an all-hands meeting, and I was the art director. And in the meeting, he's, he's again blowing sunshine up our backside about how good Battletech is. And so I put my hand up, and I said, that's wonderful. Um, but we're less than three months from this game going live, and no one from Electronic Arts has approached me about an advertising campaign. We're too late to get in magazines at this point because it's a three-month lead time. There's no web presence. I've not seen anything about advertising for this. And before his handler could run out on stage, John Riccatello answers with, well, at EA, we only advertise the good games. Wow. Peace out. Yeah. And again, a room full of game developers just looked at him with blank stares on their face, and his handler ran out and tried to do damage control. Um, I have no respect for this person. He's been the CEO of EA twice, and both times he's done some questionable things, and the quality, the, the overall market share of EA has dropped. I think the last time he was CEO, CEO of EA, the, their overall market value dropped by close to 60%. And he has his own private equity firm called Elevation Partners. And when he was CEO of EA the first time, he spent he his his private equity firm owned Pandemic, and he spent EA money to enrich himself to buy Pandemic from his own investment firm to make it part of EA, and then he closed it. Bastard! Pandemic was amazing. Yeah. And so then Elevation Partners bought a controlling interest of Unity, and that's how he got to be the CEO of Unity. And I don't I don't know that he really understands the gaming industry. I've never had a feeling for close to three decades now that he's ever been anything good for the industry. You know, I uh I don't even want to buy Sara Lee bread, so I don't know why he thinks he's such a hotshot. I, I I'm speechless. I, I have no idea how to respond to that. Well, that answered that question pretty good. How how are you the leader of a company, and you just come out to people working for you and say, "Yeah, we're not," and just basically slap them in the face and say, "We're not going to promote this game because we feel like all the work that you put in isn't making a good game," especially when you come from outside the video game industry and you know very little. Like how. How does that just pass through your lips without you thinking about it? And I, yeah, I don't. I mean, it, it, that that's almost as bad as uh, the former Xbox student guy going uh, when 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 they were doing the DRM for the Xbox One, and they said, "What what do you say to the gamers that can't get online?" He goes, "Well, we have a project for you. It's called the 360." Yeah, that was a dark time. Yep. Yeah. And so then then this this paragraph, and uh, Tricky read the whole quote as it exists in the article. Correct. And then they came out a day later and said that 
his comment about these game developers being, quote, fucking idiots, was taken out of context. No, it wasn't, because we have the entire context, which is this scatterbrained couple of paragraphs. All right, well, you you brought that up, and that, that's actually a, another article I have in here. Uh, he did issue an apology on Twitter and clarified his comments regarding those devs. Uh, he says, quote, and this is bo- multiple tweets, I want to talk about both what I said in the interview and my follow-up t- tweet. I'm going to start with an apology. My word choice was crude. I am sorry. I am listening, and I will do better. What I can do, perhaps, is provide more on what I was thinking when I did the interview, what I could, what I would have said if I had taken great care. First, I have great respect for the game developers. The work they do is amazing. The creativity can be incredible, whether on a AAA console, mobile, or indie game designed to be played by millions, or a creative product, a project that a game was made just for the sheer joy of it. Second, one thing I've seen is that the most game devs work incredibly hard and want people to play their game, to enjoy it, and when appropriate for players to engage deeply. For the game devs I have worked most closely with, there is often anxiety about whether players will love the game and appreciate all the work and love that's went into making it. Third, sometimes a game developer, excuse me, sometimes all a game developer wants is to have a handful of friends enjoy the game, art for art for art's sake, and art for friends. Other players want money to buy the game or game items so they can make a living. Both of these motivations are noble. Fourth, what I was trying to say and clearly failed at saying is that there are better ways for game developers to get an early read on what players think of their game, to learn from their feedback, and if the developer wants to adjust the game based on this feedback. It's a choice to listen and act or just to listen. Again, both are very valid choices. If I had been smarter in choosing my words, I would have just said this. We are working to provide developers with tools so they can better understand what their players think, and it's up to them to act or not based on this feedback. Anyway, that's a lot of that's it, a lot of words and a sentence I wish I never said. End quote. That sounds really good damage control that somebody wrote for him to say. Yes, but let's keep in mind that the reaction to all of this is because Unity is merging with an advertising platform. And he's talking about telemetry. Yes, developers want to know how players are playing the game. And when you play a game on either the Xbox or the PlayStation, or a lot of times PC games, a lot of information gets back to the developer about what you're doing. You know, how how long are you spending on this quest? What are you doing over there? Telemetry is great. But he's conflating telemetry with everyone's upset that we're merging with an advertising platform. And two days ago, I was talking about monetization. And so it's a, there's a lot of spin control in that apology, and it really doesn't at all talk about the monetization and the advertising aspect and the history of the advertising company they're merging with, which was blacklisted from Windows in Microsoft Defender because it pushed malware. It's there, There's a lot of concerns in the Unity developer community about this. And I will tell you, between the time that that article came out and that apology, Twitter exploded with Unity developers discussing about what engine they might want to switch to. And so it's huge damage control. Uh, Yeah, because somebody else tweeted, um, go back to... uh, Last night, developer Tim Soar tweeted uh, that he was, quote, destroying the Unity we all loved, end quote. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm just in in that mass of of text. I just didn't 
you know, hear everything, but did he actually address everything he said in the original, like, in, in the original quote? Because it seems like he was almost talking about not two different things, but two things. That, like, it was like he was trying to give a really eloquent answer and trying to cover up what he said, but he also didn't go back to cover everything he said in the original quote. Did I did I miss something, or is that kind of... He apologized for being disparaging. He built up the fact that Unity needs game developers, and then he talked about telemetry and understanding what your players want. He really glossed over the fact that all of this came about because of the news that right after a bunch of layoffs... Unity is doing a $4.5 billion stock acquisition of an advertising platform. And the Unity developers are concerned. They're like, wait a second, are you adding anything new to the engine? Because you just laid off a bunch of workers and now you're, you're pushing advertising. And so there's, he didn't really address that aspect of it, no. Yeah, because he, I mean, in the original quote, he was talking more about you know, just the monetization of everything, and uh, yeah, he just didn't really. I, I, I understand that people say things they shouldn't, or that you know people make mistakes. But this guy, I mean, he's not a young guy. I mean, even back when he was like at EA, he had to be in his forties, probably his fifties, as it were. And you know, he obviously he said something to Jeff and Jeff's team that was very disrespectful. But when you're the head of a company. When you're the CEO and you've had years of experience, you're like, you know, you want to come out and say, oh, you know, I've been in the video game industry longer than most. You would figure by now that you would, you know, as a representative of the company, the head of the company, that you wouldn't come out and say fucking idiots in an interview. Like you would have more thought behind it than that. So, you know, him saying I need to do better, he's not wrong. But also, why was that something that came out of your mouth in the first place? I would love to know, and I guess... I mean, they have investors. The Unity IPO'd, I believe. So I guess you could look this up. I'd like to know what their revenue is because it, we're less than a year out from when they spent almost $4 billion to buy Weta Digital in New Zealand. And what did that add to the engine, right? And what does this advertising platform add to the engine for people that just they want to make games? Like, there's a lot of concern about the weird acquisitions and not a lot of new features being added to Unity. And it's a fair criticism. Well, given some of the work that he did at EA, like, yeah, like, the, as far as the the losses and the, the spending of money, you have to question when he's spending money and things aren't, uh, you know, on things that aren't going to be fruitful of your products. I, I just, I guess that when I hear him talk the first time, one, he was insulting, but also it's like, he tries to come back and it's just like, okay, but you didn't you didn't cover everything that you said in the first place, so how can I take you seriously? I don't I don't know. Yo, do you have uh, some comments you want to make? I just like I said from the initial, he confused me by what he was talking about initially, and then Jeff clarified why I was confused because the guy's a moron. <sighs> that's putting right. it nicely. I mean, kind of like what he says that you know with his un you know, wrong words are saying that people that don't import uh, microtransactions are the biggest fucking idiots. I mean, we've had conversations on the show about microtransactions. Obviously, as like uh, Rick pointed out in the chat, if you put microtransactions in your games, there are going to people that buy them. Oh, absolutely. And, and I mean, look at mobile games. 
I, I I think it's fair to say that microtransactions are a decent, if not good, uh, revenue stream inside the games. If done correctly, yes. Uh, so, I mean, I, I'm i not in any way trying to justify what he said, but I, I think the point he was trying to make is that if you're not putting microtransactions in your games, you're going to fail. That's not true. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying I think that's the point he was trying to make. Yes, I, that's the impression I got. And for certain types of games, I can see that argument, but he still made it badly. I mean, what the mobile Diablo game is doing a million a day plus right now on microtransactions. De- microtransactions are certainly more amenable in the mobile space than they are in the console and the PC space. And Unity is used a lot for mobile games. So I can see where that is sort of coming full circle, but he still didn't discuss it eloquently. Absolutely not. I mean, what is your overall opinion on microtransactions in games, Jeff? If you want to do it, do it. Uh, I I don't know. No, that's not true. Um, I have certainly bought some ship cosmetics uh, for Sea of Thieves. Uh, and there's a couple other games where I've bought some, you know, microtransaction stuff. But I generally don't do that. I don't do a lot of on-my-phone mobile gaming because I just don't like the, oh, buy buy this pack of 50 gold right now to get another turn today or wait 24 hours to get a free turn tomorrow sort of thing. And, and that's just me. It just doesn't resonate with me. But I am of an era where I slotted cartridges into wood-paneled, plug-into-your-old-school-television consoles and I bought computer software in Ziploc bags. I am of a different era of gaming, and it just wasn't a thing that was there when I started gaming, and so it just never resonated with me. All right, because, I mean, other forums that uh, developers and publishers have tried to do is, uh, several years ago, we had the online pass for a used game. Uh, That went by the wayside once we started getting the microtransactions. I think that's fair to say. Uh, a lot of games still do season passes. Sea of Thieves is surviving greatly on season passes, and they're doing a good job with it. And you can play most, but you can play most of it without throwing down for the season pass. But if you want to get the ultimate payout for doing all of the, the the quests and the trials for the season, you do have to buy the season pass. All right. Well, I you you're saying season pass. I was talking about the online pass, like when the, the PS3 oh. games, where if 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 you bought a game used, you had to buy a key. You had to buy the key to play online. But there's also other games like EVE Online, which, again, I've never played. Well, I, I played it when it first came out. That's probably almost 20 years ago now. Where you can earn real... You can convert in-game currency to real-world currency, and so you can actually pay your subscription every month just by playing the game. I, I think Fortnite does that now, right? right. Yeah. Yep. You can earn V-Bucks. And, and the same thing... Uh, in Marvel's Avengers, all the characters are at least for free. But if you want to uh, unlock their track, you you got to you had to pay ten dollars. But all that currency to unlock that track, you could also earn the game by doing the tracks for all the six original characters. So and then you know as you do the 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 new characters that come out, they have it. And then if you just keep doing all the work, you never have to put another dime into the game. So, I mean, th- there are companies that do it right. Yes. Uh, and I'm 
I am all for things like that. Like, VR was kind of a flash in the pan again, although it's kind of stuck more this time. Microtransactions, loot boxes, these things generate a lot of discussion. And, and, and just to remind everybody, and for those that are new listeners and haven't heard me on the show before, I am a member of the advisory board that plans Game Developer Conference every year. I'm, I still do that now. Um, and you get a lot of discussion about these things, like, should we even allow these talks? And I'm always of the mind of yes, because one of the interesting things about games relative to most any other media, books, film, television, music, is that games can try these experimental things. And sometimes they stick. Sometimes they stick in the mainstream. Sometimes they stick over off in a niche area. But games exist in this space where the the idea of the medium of games is constantly evolving. And we should be trying these things because that means that the, the hobby will constantly evolve and an evolving thing will stay fresher than a stagnant thing. Like, if you went into a movie theater and you watched the first 10 minutes of a movie and then somebody came around with a collection basket and you had to throw in a dollar to see the next 10 minutes of the movie, you're going to get up and leave. It's just not going to work because movies are an established medium with a certain expectation of the user. Games, we can push those expectations over time. And so as an industry, we should push them. And it's throw throw a bunch of things at the wall and something's going to stick. And that's great. It also doesn't mean that what sticks wipes out everything that came before it. It just means that now we have another avenue. So if a developer wants to put microtransactions in, I'm not going to say no. Because there are players that are going to gravitate to that. Perfect. You have a revenue stream. You found something. Excellent. The games industry is stronger because of that. I definitely think that there are some games where microtransactions are better suited for. But I think that his, his point of everyone should be concerning, like, you know, these streams of monetization. I mean, if it makes sense, yes. But just over monetizing everything to make more money you're going to burn people out. And as far as like, as someone who spends a lot of money in games, I don't want everyone just from the outset to be like, well, how can we add extra monetization? Because if you think that people cut pieces of games that we would have gotten as a total package before and then sell those later to you as a, as a DLC, forcing people or telling everyone that they need to have, you know, microtransactions within their games, you know, everyone needs to sell cosmetics and costumes and stuff like that. That's not something I think that people who buy games want to hear. Like, it can probably, it can make sense, yes, and if it, it makes sense and it's good, I will buy it. But if you're just over-monetizing everyone, you're going to burn people out and you're going to turn people off. Because it becomes across as greedy, and people don't like that. God, it, it, imagine EA, if they were to do something like this. You spend $70 on the game, you pop it in, you hit start, and to play Chapter 1, it's going to cost you $5. Yeah, but also let's remember, we're not four years out from when the entire industry was of the mind that everything had to be Battle Royale, right? And we all know that that didn't go anywhere, but there was a lot of money and a lot of big studios trying to fit PUBG's gameplay into anything they could. Yep. Okay, fine, try it, I don't care. You're going to succeed or you're going to fail, and that's not for me to say. If I had started to cycle back to the beginning of the show, if I had started playing Weird West, and it was going to be like, great, you played one character, now to play the second character, you have to give us another two ninety nine. I would have stopped the game right there. 
Now, that doesn't mean everybody would have stopped the game right there, but I just don't gravitate towards those games. I like a game I can pick up, and I can play to completion, and I can put down. I'm fairly old school in that, probably, but I'm also fairly old. And so, that's fine. There are games that I won't play. I don't care, right? I mean, that doesn't mean that those games are awful. It just means that I'm not their audience, but there's definitely an audience for them. All right. uh, Correction in the chat. I said earlier that the... uh online passes were stopped due to microtransactions. Rick pointed out it was actually stopped when they started charging for PlayStation Plus and Xbox Live. That's a correction. Alright, I think it's time to wrap up the show, unless you guys have any further comments. I mean, I have comments on a lot of things. Well, I mean, Rick is Rick is saying in the chat that uh, he does love when you're on the show. Uh, I'm trying to find his actual quote here. Uh, hold on. Uh, he says uh, he enjoys having you on the show because you get a lot of insight, great stories, and insight into the gaming world. And he says you were also a plus up for the usual riffraff we have on the show. I also want to point out that Rick has been a guest host on this show very recently, so he's also thrown himself under the, the bus there as well. <laughs> <laughs> and Rick, right now, because he's from the UK, he's trying to figure out our our, our money system. He didn't know that a penny was actually uh, referred to as also as a cent. So now he's asking me what a half dollar is and what a nickel and a dime is. A nickel's a nickel, well, a dime's a dime, and what the fuck? A nickel and a dime is a EA monetization strategy under Jock and Rivatello. That's what that is. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, I mean, Jeff. Can you tell us any more stories about the industry? or? Uh, oh, I mean, I could tell you the... We, it, it, we'd be here until 9, but I could tell you the time that I was at a Sony party at E3 and Andy Dick, the actor, had just gotten fired from news radio and I was in a green room on the Sony movie studio lot with him. Um, I, I can't stand Andy Dick, so... Well, I mean, yeah. Um, I Yes, I have a ton of stories. Uh, it's huh. It's been an amazing... What I started in '95. It's been an amazing number of decades, um, but at the same, and you know, I I'll, I'll admit I did a lot of soul searching when I took the job with Nvidia because it means I'm not necessarily directly in the games industry anymore. That doesn't mean that at some point I won't be back. Um, but it's an industry that I am going to pay attention to and be as close to a part of as I can for as long as possible because it's. It's been everything I've done since college, and it's it's been very good to me. Uh, Rick says a quid is a pound, and he also wants to know, Jeff, have you ever met Bill Gates? I have not, but my mom has an autographed picture of Bill Gates because my brother worked at Microsoft and managed to ask Bill Gates' secretary if he would sign a headshot for my mother. All right. I, I don't know where that came from, Rick, but that was a good question, apparently. <laughs> um. All right, so, Jeff, now that you've left, like, you just referred that you technically not in the game industry, I mean, I, I I know you said you're basically doing the same thing you were doing at Volition that you're now doing at NVIDIA, but aren't, and excuse my ignorance, but aren't you basically now developing the graphics cards that will go into future consoles and future, uh, no. not, well, not you developing directly, but have a hand in what our future consoles and our future PCs are going to uh, run like? 
No, I'm nowhere near that. Okay. Um, right. That's the smarties. I'm not a smarty. Um, Don't say Nvidia no. has smart. Nvidia has a 3D ender called Omniverse. Uh, it's not targeted at games currently. Uh, it's targeted more at manufacturing and industrial level. And I work on a portion of Omniverse. I work on a program called View, which basically is there. There's a couple of different apps. Create, if you're at all familiar with Unreal, Create would be Unreal Ed. View is, I want to load up what somebody made and create and look at it. And, you know, I want to be able to take some measurements. I want to be able to write some markup on the screen. I want to be able to present what what whatever somebody has made for this industrial application type of thing. Um, it's, it, it, it is, at its core, it's a 3D engine. And so it uses a lot of the same technology. And... For those of you that know me, and I've talked about this on the show, I for 12 plus years now, I've run technical artist roundtables at GDC every year. And a lot of the discussion early on was, how do we lie on our resume because no one knows what a technical artist actually is? And then the role got established, and then education started teaching the role, and I've consulted with a number of universities, but then... It was five years ago that Microsoft had a job posting for a technical artist for the Microsoft Photos team. And suddenly it hit me that these things that we call game engines are used everywhere. And so the concept of being a technical artist isn't necessarily limited to working on games. It's your role is to better facilitate the development of artist-facing tools and communicating with programmers to make sure that the artist's voice is understood. And so when the opportunity came for me to step next to the gaming industry, it, it shook me a little bit, but at the same time I realized that I am all about this, and I've been talking about this for years and encouraging others to do it, so it makes sense for me to do it. So I'm still developing artist-facing tools, I'm still developing creation tools to make digital assets, it's just those digital assets aren't necessarily going to end up in a game, but they are going to end up in a very high-powered 3D engine that runs on consumer graphics cards and runs on PCs. And so it's still, it's still the same ideas. It's just the end result isn't an entertainment product. It's a manufacturing product. Okay. And I say that just because uh, I, I, I hear what you're saying and just trying to process it all. It's I know, and I process it a lot too. A lot of omniverse is like rocket science from twenty years in the future, um, and every day I learn something new about it. And as somebody who has, I mean, I went to when I went to college, I went to a program that had the word technology in the title of it. I am way into technology. Uh, games have been the forefront of technology for a very long time, but now there's some other different forefronts, and so I'm I get pushed harder every day now than I have in a long, long time, and I learn something new every day. And if it's only one thing new every day, that's I probably needed to do more that day. And so I'm super happy with where I am. So now, I mean, you've been in the industry for what? Since 95, officially, but I was also doing some game development work when I was still in college, so more like 93. So, I mean, as your day-to-day goes on, I mean, obviously when you were a, a dev over at uh, Volition and I, obviously your new role, how often are you taking a class or 
doing something to learn about the new technology, or is it all you're learning just all hands on and you learn as you go? It's it's hands on. It's being present. And, and we didn't really get into this tonight, and that's fine. Volition used to be a studio where they jumped at the hard problems. Red Faction Guerrilla pushed me harder than I have ever been pushed because of what everyone knew the end goal needed to be, and also everyone knew that no one else had ever done it before. Um, it's it's jumping at things like that. It's being pushed in my career and being given the latitude to be like, well, I don't know how to do that yet, but I understand that you're going to let me go figure it out. Uh, it's keeping my finger on a lot of websites and going to conferences. I learn so much every year at GDC uh, just by being there. Um, and so it's it's just... Not necessarily sitting down and taking a class, but making sure that I am within the community and within the industry and talking to other people that are doing things because somebody's always coming up with a novel solution to a common problem. And it's just, it's just sucking it all in. It's a fire hose and it's a wonderful, nerdy, geeky fire hose. All right. Alex or Yield, do you have any questions for Jeff before we let him go? I ha- I had one like a week or so ago and it left me. <laughs> I think we may have covered it actually, but yeah, I had one and I thought it was a pretty good one and I couldn't remember it. Oh, see, so when you knew Jeff was coming out this week, you thought of a question that I forgot it. Well, I thought of it actually like a couple of weeks ago when you said you know Jeff's going to be on at the end of the month. And I'm like, all right, I thought of something that had to, you know it was, it was it was video game related and everything, and I thought it was actually a pretty good one. I want to think maybe it had to do with. With the the new plus or anything, but I cannot for sure, and it, it left me. I'm trying to think of it the other day. I should have wrote it down. All right, Alex. No, my only question is when can when can we have him back? I, you know, I even though we just got done podcasting with him, I need I need it's like a drug. I need that next hit. Jeff Hanna is just so good when he comes on the show that uh, when when's the next time? I'm I'm here. We can we can make it work we can figure it out all right so uh I'll, you know i'll come on the show whenever i can yeah well i, I explained to the guys like we have dates booked up until october right now yeah i know you put you put that list out that's an that's an impressive list um but I'm, I'm sure a couple of our guests wouldn't mind you uh coming on the show with them i i know daryl uh has been hounding me to get you on his show maybe Maybe we should discuss at some point soon um, getting on your Twitch stream and doing some co-op Saints Row. That sounds like a plan as well. Okay. Uh, right, we'll uh, we'll you, talk about that offline. And, and the other thing, and I'll, I'll put this out publicly, uh, I don't know if you're going to be able to answer it because I think you per- privately answered it to Daryl, but uh, Daryl's having some problems with the Agents of Mayhem servers. I believe they got shut down. Did they get shut down? I believe Koch and Deep Silver shut them down and didn't make an announcement about it. Uh, I believe they're gone. Ouch. That's not good. All right. I because he said that uh, he can't get the platinum because the servers are no longer. Or he's having problems with the servers. Yeah. Here, here's an article from the gamer from two days before Christmas. Uh, I'll post it in the chat, and you can share it with the community. Uh, they and it's talking about the fact that they just kind of got shut off. 
Okay. I, I we won't dive more into that. I just think that's pretty shitty that somebody does that. It's not great. It's not great. And I'm I I and it makes me sad because Agents of Mayhem, when it released, was not one of the best games I ever worked on, and I've talked about this before, but it Volition did continue to work on it and patch it up, and it's still not the best game I've ever worked on, but the one you can get now, all patched up, is a very entertaining ride. And there are some fun storylines, and there's some really good writing in that product. Alright, and can you confirm now that Saints Row was actually a Saints Row game? I'm sorry, can you confirm now that Agents of Mayhem was actually a Saints Row game? Uh, Agents of Mayhem, that's a, I don't, I cannot confirm or deny it, but I can also say that Agents of Mayhem ended up being a direct offshoot of one of the four endings from Saints Row 4. You, you said that on the show before. Yeah. Yep. All right. So I think. And Johnny Gat ends up in it. So draw, and they have Fleur de and purple everywhere. So draw your own conclusions. I mean, that was, that was a big speculation that, uh, Agents was actually a spin-off, but it was never confirmed or denied. There was a lot of back and forth during development of it, of whether or not it was. Alright. Uh, and one thing I didn't announce on the show, which I guess I can ask you before we actually close out the show, uh, there was a trophy that was glitching on me in the Division 2 that it finally popped. Um, Is there... It, if a trophy glitches, is that like a, a dev issue or is that a console issue? Yes. Uh, I've talked about this before. The whole concept of certification is not to make sure that your game is perfect. It's to make sure that when your game fails, that people understand it's the game failing and not the console failing. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it, it, it could be more than likely it's, I mean, if it's, if it's a trophy glitching, then I'm going to point at the software not the hardware. Like, there's well, something in the division that makes that trophy not work. Well, because, I mean, when when people have issues with trophies, they usually go to the developers or try to contact the developers to get it. And, and like, with the Maneater trophies, that was something that uh, the team, I can't remember who did Maneater, but uh, that was something the team actually had to go in and fix, and they announced, you know, via their own personal blog that, that they had fixed these. So that was when it, it seems to be people reach out to the developers or the publishers when it comes to that kind of stuff. Now, if trophies were failing across the board, that would be a platform issue. But if one trophy in a specific game by a specific publisher is having problems, then that's more of a game issue. Yeah, because the the, the trophy that glitched on me was uh, I had to complete um, a manhunt on Challenging, which I've done several times. And then one day, I just loaded up the game, and the trophy popped. Huh. I wasn't even in the game yet. I was on choosing my character, and the trophy popped. Well, and there... and. There's so many things that can come into play there um, because a lot of that stuff is tracked on third-party databases and third-party servers. Like, it's not uncommon. It's it's not common, but it's certainly not also ultra-rare that you'll get a community post for, on Sea of Thieves, as an example, be like, hey, we know that loot aggregation, like your score is not going to go up in time tonight because there's a problem with the database server. But we are still tracking all of the numbers and you will eventually get your gold total. Um, so there's, I mean, internet issues, machine issues, bad patch update issues. It's, we've built the world on very shaky infrastructure. And so you just got to learn to roll with it sometimes. 
All right, let's close out the show. Alex, your shout-out, sir. Get to light this candle. So I want to give a shout-out to the listeners, the uh, community that is Trophy Horrors, uh, the, the lifeblood, the fuel to the fire. Uh, we've got some of the some of the uh, folks in the chat. Thank you all for for asking questions as we go along, for keeping the conversation going, and just everything you do to support Trophy Horrors. And you know, you know, without you all, this this doesn't exist. We wouldn't want to do this. So thank you all. And again, thank you to Mark Frazier for the uh, uh, going going the extra mile and and you know, uh, facilitating that sense of competition within us all to uh, with the scores that and the scoring system that Mark set up. Uh, give a shout out to, to Tricky and to Yield, and of course. The biggest shout out to Jeff for coming on again. We we say it, and we really mean it. That uh, Jeff brings a certain insight that we cannot have from really any other guests we've had on. So uh, not just the intelligence that he brings, not just the conversation, but also the humor, how funny he is, and just how easy he is to talk to. So thank you, Jeff, for for joining us again. I know it's you know uh, some of your free time, some of your leisure time, but we do appreciate you you know sharing your views and your expertise with us and our community. I love doing it. And uh, last but not least, I'm giving a shout out to my awesome and lovely girlfriend, Ashley. We spent today building Legos while watching It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So it was a pretty spectacular day. All right. Yield your shout out. Uh, Shout out to Nitro and the Brain76 for playing some Rocket League last week. Uh, A shout out to my wife for finding me a Jarts set at a garage sale. I'm sorry, a what set? A Jarts set. Is that like the long darts that kill people? Yes! Oh my gosh. You can't fight them anywhere. They're technically illegal. They've been illegal for decades. I know. I've wanted one since I was a kid. I'm so confused here. Jarts. Long darts. Long darts were heavy. Long darts. Got it. Okay. I'm, I'm and good And people got stabbed in the head with them in the 70s. Like, we're talking like five decades illegal. Yeah. They're awesome. She found a set. They're not really awesome. They're deadly. Well, they're deadly if you if you're too dumb and stand underneath them. <laughs> you're not supposed to throw them at each other, but they're still they're awesome. Huge shout out for her for that. Um, uh, shout out to uh, Mark for doing the trophy points. Uh, shout out to the Twitch chat for thanks for hanging out. Uh, Alex and Tricky for recording tonight, and as always, a huge shout out to Jeff for coming on and giving us insight to the industry. Love it. Even though I don't always understand it, it's always cool to listen to. Uh, one thing before I give my uh, go to Jeff for the shout outs. Uh, Jeff, Rick wants to know, does Saints Row 1 still hold up because he has it on the 360? Yes. Okay. And you and, well, it holds up. You have to understand, it is a game of its time. Okay. Yeah, trust it, me. Think of it this way: at this at this point, it's practically a retro title, so you have to look at it like that. Don't go into it thinking that it's going to hold up to say Saints Row Three. Um, but it is it is a game of its time, and it represents the things that were known in pop culture of the time in which it was made. And in that case, yes, it holds up like any other medium from that era. All right, and yield. Uh, Rick wants to say, "Fuck those things are dangerous." That kid that died was in the garden next door. <laughs> Jeff, your shout outs. Uh, I want to shout out to my girlfriend's family. I got home about an hour before the show. I was over there at my girlfriend's house, about an hour away, and we spent all weekend starting to build a deck in her backyard. And her brother and her dad uh, were super helpful. 
Um, and so we got quite a lot of it done. I want to shout out to the community because you guys have kept this show going. Uh, this, this podcast has been going forever, and that's awesome. And I do want to give a shout out to my friends at Volition. Uh, it's, I know it's been hard, but they're at the finish line, and the game hits for everybody next month, and I think it's going to do really well. And I know I'm going to be out there buying a copy of it because it's the last official game I've worked on. And I'm really curious to see what everyone's contributed to it over the pandemic years and after I left. And that should be gold by now, right? Or very close to being gold? I mean, it's like August 25th or something? Yeah, I think that's launch day. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're we're four and a half weeks away? Five weeks away? I thought Saints Row was in September. No, no, it's August. August. Really? I don't know why. Okay. No, quick. no, you're right. You guys are right. I just, for some reason, I thought... I was going to say, Jeff's sitting here saying what the date is, the month is, and Tricky's like, I don't know. I don't can't trust you. You you just I, worked I think, in volition. Just because you worked on the game doesn't mean you know anything. You're wrong, sir. Click, 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 click. Oh, I damn didn't it, mean right. that in any way, shape, or form like that. I just, for some reason, I had it in my head, Saints Row was September. Yeah, it's it's the it's the it's the twenty second or the twenty fifth, but it's August. All right. Yeah. Uh, I I can't even get to it right now because it's acid for my. Age. I want to say I think it's the twenty fifth because I think it was originally February twenty second. I think it was originally two twenty two, and then it got moved to eight twenty five. That sounds right. All right. Well, either way, it's in August. End of August. Yes. Yes. Uh. I want to give a shout out to Jeff, uh, as you'll point out. You know, I love having Jeff on the show, but sometimes he just makes me feel stupid because I don't know what he's saying. But you know, I, I I'm gonna say this because uh, at this point it's probably never gonna happen. Pre pandemic, I was actually gonna fly out and go to GDC one time and just sit in the audience and ask you a trophy question, just to see if you recognized who I was and see you know what you responded. Dude, to that's, that's an expensive damn troll right there. <laughs> Like a pass to GDC is like eighteen hundred dollars. <laughs> well, listen, uh, we're all committed in what nine years to go to Italy for episode thousand. So, oh, okay, all right. I mean, at that point, you know, seventeen hundred is really not that much. I'm all for dropping the money on the troll. You you go to great ends for the joke. Yes, but I I thought how funny it would be if I sit like a a panel with you and just pop up and say, hey, uh, just to. Uh, can you put a trophy in this game, or can you fix this trophy? Just to see if you recognize me. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think it's ever going to happen. Uh, no, so- I don't work on games anymore. Ha! Huh? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, that being said, uh, again, I love having you on the show, and you are welcome anytime. I, I know that many of our guests wouldn't uh, mind double-teaming and having you on the show with them. Uh, and like I said... I, Daryl's still trying to get me on, uh, get you, get me to get you to go on his show. Uh, maybe I'll bring you on with Daryl's here so he can feel like what it's like to podcast with you. Okay. Um, shout out to Alex and Yield who have been very patient with this whole Twitch thing. Uh, again, a special shout out to Yield because I know he's been ultra patient with this, uh, with the interruptions and whatnot. But I think it brings an uh, added uh, layer to the show. So I, th- I, I appreciate all the listeners. All the uh, people in the Twitch chat appreciate it. Shout out to Sweet Mama D. Shout out to the goddess. And if there's nothing else, until next week, happy trophy hunting. Heads up. Later. Bye. Say
theme song is Venus by the band Even off their album Zenith. Permission granted by the band and 12 Stone Records. You can find them on Facebook by going to www.facebook.com slash Even Philippines. 